Two days ago, I saw a vehicle that had hauled that tanker. You want to get out of here? You talk to me. minute where we ka-chunk, 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 ka-chunk Mad Max to the Road Warrior one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about minute 13, which begins with Max standing up after deactivating the booby trap on the black on black, and it ends with the gyro captain tied up in Max's back seat. <laughs> Stop. Wouldn't we all like to be tied up in Mel Gibson's back seat? Um, <laughs> okay, are we talking about... <laughs> Present day Mel Gibson, or are we talking like 1970s Mel Gibson? Well, definitely 1970s, 80s Mel Gibson. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> I mean, if it was today's Mel Gibson, the context I'd be of being of my life. The context of being tied up in his back seat, modern day Mel Gibson, probably not great situation to find yourself in. But yeah, early 80s, late 70s Mel Gibson, probably a very different context. Yeah, probably a very different context. Mel Gibson, by the way, is in a new movie coming up. It seems like he's trying to be normal again. Well... It was a funny movie. I can't remember what it was, but play somebody's dad. It's a movie that was actually filmed in our area. I think it's called Daddy's Home 2. Oh, yes, that's right. I I knew it was a sequel to something. Yeah, it's the sequel to the Mark Wahlberg, Will Ferrell vehicle, where Mark Wahlberg is the the father... stepdad. No, Mark Mark Wahlberg is the biological father of a couple of kids, and Will Ferrell is the stepdad. And so... I didn't watch this first movie, but... No, through... the first movie, they had to learn to get along. Yeah. And now the some... second one, they have learned to get along. And now their fathers come for Christmas. Yeah, for some reason, you know, this stepdad comes back in... Oh, no, the biological father comes back into the lives of the kids. And so, yeah, that first movie was them trying to get along. And now for the second movie, the fathers of... Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg shows up, and Mark Wahlberg's dad is Mel Gibson. Is Mel Gibson. And Will Ferrell's dad is John Lithgow. Yes. <laughs> what did we see? Where did we see that trailer? It was a preview for Valerian. Ah, yes. Yes. That is not the kind of movie that you would expect no. to see as a preview for Valerian. No, a sci-fi it's not. But we haven't seen epic. any other movie in theater lately, so it must have been that one. Yeah, not lately. Yeah, we, we got the whole crew to roll out to go see Valerian, and it looked really good. Visually, it was it was very interesting to look at. You know, going into it, that's what I was expecting, that it was going to be a beautiful movie, and that's what I got. Yeah. I was not disappointed. Yeah, I... I expected a beautiful movie, and that's what I got. I sat down expecting not to like Dan. Dane DeHaan and Cara Delevingne as leads because, I don't know, they've been in some pretty awful stuff. I mean, Cara Delevingne was the Enchantress in Suicide Squad and... I thought she was actually better in the, as the Enchantress as, what's her name? Something hillbilly-ish, like Laureline. Laureline. Uh, Laureline? I think it's Laureline. Yeah. And then Dane DeHaan was... Harry Osborn in the second Amazing Spider-Man movie? Yeah, I think so. It's just not... I don't know. Yeah, he's... It's not... I think he... I just didn't see him as an adult. I saw him as an angsty teenager. Yeah, he's too young looking. Yes. I think that's one of my... I think he's too young looking. ...biggest criticisms of Valerian is that the leads were miscast. I feel like you needed an older lead to play Valerian, and I feel like you needed an appropriately older female lead to play Laureline, because there's that whole 
side story of him wanting to forsake all others in favor of her. Right. Where it just seemed tacked on. I, I don't know. Yeah. It didn't seem necessary. I don't know. We're not here to talk about Valerian. No. <laughs> <laughs> we're here to talk about Mad Max. So, yeah, Mel Gibson is going to be in Daddy's Home 2. It was filmed in our area. It seems like he's coming back in front of the camera again. So. Yes. That's how we got off on that tangent. <laughs> so anyway, getting back to the actual start of this minute, Max has just turned off the booby trap underneath the black on black. And I like that we had this little sequence of him switching it off because before this moment, we don't know that there's a booby trap. And so this really calls attention to the fact that it's there because it is going to become important to the story later on. It's a little bit of Chekhov's gun without being like really Chekhov's gun. Exactly. Without being tropey. So Max... After he's done messing with the mechanism, he kind of puts his hands up and stands up nice and slowly, and he begins walking away from the gyro captain. And it's kind of a bold strategy, because Max is still very much at the whim of the gyro captain. Gyro captain could shoot him at any time, but the fact that Max is moving very slowly and deliberately, he's not giving the gyro captain an excuse to shoot him. Right, so the gyro captain's response is just to reposition himself back in front of Max yeah. and stop him from progressing. He yells, hey, and then he goes, hey, hey, and it's like, I tried to keep track of how many times he said hey, because I like to have the words in front of me, and the way the haze kind of garble together and just become a little bit of a wavery noise, I, I couldn't keep track yeah. <laughs> of how many it actually was, and it actually was a little bit of funny-sounding noise, more or less. <laughs> so he gets back in front of Max. He's now stopped him from walking, and he's standing right next to the passenger door of the Black on Black. And he says something that is, I don't know if it technically counts as irony, but he says, don't play me the fool. And he starts reaching for the door handle of the passenger door. And he's immediately going to be made foolish looking. Yes. <laughs> so what happens in the very next moment is that Dog jumps out of the car window, attacking the captain. Yep. Was that Max's purpose in walking towards the door? You think he actually was an active trick? Like, I'm going to walk towards the door... The captain is going to say, no, 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 you can't do that. And he's going to go open the door himself, or he's going to position himself in front of that window. But do you think the, the dog attack was the purpose of Max's movements? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Now... I thought so, too. The gyro captain doesn't know about the dog. Nope. Before he, you know, gets introduced to dog up close and personal... But Max remembers that dog is still in the car because the dog didn't jump out. No, and I think that was on purpose. I think he told the dog to stay in the car so that he still had a surprise weapon. Mm -hmm. He likes surprise weapons. He had the knife under the bumper. He's got the knife in his boot that we'll see in a bit. He, he likes surprise weapons. Yeah. And even though the dog could have been handy with the snake handling the snake, he still kept the dog in the car. Mm -hmm. I think if the gyro captain hadn't run in front of Max to position himself in front of the passenger door, Max probably just would have kept walking until he was kind of standing in such a way that were the gyro captain to get closer, he would still be positioned in front of that window. I feel like it's a good gambit to, you know, utilize something that, you know, your captor doesn't know about. Yes. And he was he was kept from using his weapon under the bumper. 
Yeah. By so. the cleverness of the gyro captain. Well, Max is kind of proving his cleverness wrong. Like, mm-hmm. okay, you beat me then at the bumper. You're not going to beat me now. <laughs> I'm going to pull one over on you. It's like a battle of wits, except there's no uh, Iocane powder involved. No. <laughs> Although Max would be the type to build up a tolerance to Iocane powder. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Max is also the kind of guy that would know not to start a land war in Asia or gamble with a Sicilian when death is on the line. You know, he's street smart. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So I love this sequence because it's a series of quick shots where you hear the bark initially, the gyro captain turns his head, you get a quick zoom on his face as the barking continues and it zooms in and he's screaming and then you see the dog leap out of the passenger window and the captain tumbles to the ground with the dog on top of him. We get a quick cut of Max pulling a knife out of his boot, always handy to have, and then we see Max run over to him and like pin him down with the knife and the dog is just kind of dancing around the captain. He's not on top of him still and on the Mad Max Wikia they have a little blurb about the fact that the dog was actually really fond of Bruce Spence and they had a hard time making him act aggressive towards this guy that he liked. And so they solved the problem by clever editing with the shots and giving the appearance of hostility. Like they would make him act aggressive towards something and then just cut it together, showing the dog and then showing Bruce Spence. And then they would add extra 80 yard barking. Like you watch the dog, you know, next to Bruce Spence in this shot here where he's on the back, where he's on his back. And the dog isn't actually like barking. He's just kind of hopping around like he's playing. Right. I think with dogs, it can be sometimes tricky to tell the difference between playing and attacking. Yeah. And in this case, it was to their advantage. I wonder, he's wearing that long purple scarf that the dog loves. Mm -hmm. He bites on it and pulls it a lot um, in this minute. And I think we see it some in the next. I don't recall off the top of my head. Uh, But I'm wondering if the scarf is there on purpose to to tempt the dog. Give him something to pull on because dogs love pulling on things. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so they don't have to worry too much about the dog liking Bruce Spence too much because we go from him on his back trying to scramble away to Max pinning him down. Max is threatening the gyro captain with the knife, so he throws up his hands and he says the magic words that'll get people to stop harassing you. Gas, fuel, gasoline, thousands of gallons of it. I, I'm i not sure if I'm amused or disappointed at how quickly he gave in. How quickly he was like, all right, I've got this piece of knowledge that could save my life. Here it is. Here you go. <laughs> Let me tell you, Max wasn't looking for information. Yeah. He wasn't threatening to get information, but the gyro captain just gave up whatever he had right away, so fast. Before Max can really do anything, like you said, the gyro captain just starts throwing out bargaining chips. It kind of makes me wonder, like, what Max was planning on doing. Because he doesn't strike me as the kind of person that would just straight up, you know, slit his throat and walk away. No, but this is the first one-on-one encounter we've seen him have in this movie. This is the first one-on-one people actually talking encounter since Johnny the Boy. Mm, that's a good point. And that was a rather sadistic scene. But he was also highly motivated. Right. He has no motivation to hurt this guy. Yeah, this I mean, guy... Yeah, this guy tried to hurt him and maybe would have killed him. I doubt it. I doubt that Captain would have killed Max. Yeah. He was just trying to steal his fuel, which is exactly what Max was trying to do. hmm To begin with. So I'm not sure what... 
Yeah, what was his end game? I mean, we don't get to find out because no, Gyro Captain is really quick to lay his cards on the table. Yep. And so one thing that kind of stands out in this shot specifically where he's talking about thousands of gallons of it, especially at the beginning where he's yelling gas fuel gasoline, the lip syncing seems really off. And so I think this is an example of them going back and ADRing Bruce Spence's line afterwards. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I don't understand a lot of what Bruce said, Spence says. <laughs> yeah. Um, his, his accent is thick, but I don't think it's really his accent. I think he sometimes talks quiet and sometimes he mumbles. <laughs> so I had to, I don't usually look at the script but I had to look at the script for this minute and the next minute. Yeah. Because I just could not understand what he was saying. So it, it's possible that in, in this line, neither could anybody else. <laughs> so they ADR'd it to be a little more clear. Just in Perhaps, case. Perhaps. I wouldn't be surprised. So when he said thousands of gallons of it, that line stood out to me because, you know, how do you judge that? How do you judge that someone has thousands of gallons of gasoline? And we right. find out later this week that they have a tanker. It's like the last line of Friday's Minute. Right. They have a tanker. Now, tanker trucks, or I should say tanker trailers, they, on average, they hold about 9,000 gallons. It's actually small. I thought you were going to say a higher number. Nope. I thought you were going to say like 20,000. But then again, exactly your point. I, I don't know how to judge volumes that large. Yeah. Like I, there's some people who can look at a swimming pool be like, oh yeah, that's a, I don't know, 30,000 gallon swimming pool. I haven't the faintest idea. <laughs> so I just would have no idea how to judge that sort of thing. Yeah. And how would they? Because they don't see tankers of oil anymore. Not they really. See, they see gas in like, like their concept of gas is like in liters. Mm -hmm. Smaller containers. Small and gas containers cans. scrounging wherever they can get, you know, how much can I fit in this helmet that I'm putting underneath the leaking tank? Yeah. They have very concept of thousands of gallons of gasoline is just outrageous to them yes it's, now this is still first generation apocalypse correct i think so i mean based on max i think that's our a one consistency very safe he assumption. did live in a society that had that had relatively you know gas society public services and now he's in this purely apocalyptic mm-hmm so I think we're still first generation. I kind of equate massive quantities of gasoline to like massive amounts of money. Like I have never in my life seen $1 million. No. Do you remember we were listening to a conversation, it was probably a podcast, about having a million dollars and what you would do with it. And one person posed the idea of if you have a million dollars, sell tickets to see a million dollars. Because most people will never see a million dollars. Yeah. And it's something that they would pay five bucks for. That is a bit from the stand-up comedian John Mulaney. He talks about the massive amount of money that it takes to make movies. Like... $33 million, $46 million, $15 million. Yeah. And it's that exact same idea. Most people will never, ever see in their life $15 million sitting on a table or stacked on a pallet, you know. So you can take that money and instead of making a movie about it, put it in a room. You know, put a couple of security guards and whatnot and just charge people $9 to walk into that room, see $15 million and then they can walk away so that they can say they've seen that massive quantity of money. Yeah, because it's just something normal people just can't fathom. Yeah, when you think of the exorbitantly wealthy and people talk about, oh, this person is worth billions of dollars, the idea of a 
billion dollars. It kind of starts to lose meaning when you think about the actual quantity of it, because a billion is like a thousand million, and a million is a thousand thousands. Yes. And it's like, <laughs> it just, it starts to boggle the mind if you think too closely about it. And so... Yes. The concept of having thousands of gallons of gasoline, like what would you even do with that gasoline? And we kind of see to the people of the compound, you know, it's their their main resource. It's a huge bargaining chip. It's, a, it's an invaluable thing to have, but it's also a huge burden. Yes. Like they have to sacrifice their mobility to hold <laughs> on to this. And as we learned from the prologue, if you're not mobile enough to scavenge... You're going to die. Exactly. Continuing along the ridiculous amounts of money analogy, people who win the lottery... First of all, people who play the lottery. The idea of maybe I could have millions of dollars is, like, exciting. Yeah. And they're willing to pay for the possibility of having that much money. So Max, like, seems skeptical, maybe a little bit excited by the end of this minute. And that's how people feel about playing the lottery. It's exciting. Yeah. Because they could win that, you know, uh, millions of dollars. But then once they have millions of dollars, it's a liability. Yeah, exactly. When we were driving home last night, we drove by a billboard and one of the lottery totals was like, what, $323 million? Yeah, I think so. I think so. And these people, they win these huge jackpots and they don't know what to do with it. And they squander it away. And for some people, when they win the lottery, it ruins their life. Yes. You know, people start coming out of the woodwork and taking advantage of them, or they break friendships with, you know, relatives or things like that. It's not a major blessing. Right. Because they don't use it wisely. I think even people who have come by their lots, their obscene amount of money in other ways, inheritance, earnings, investing, whatever, just because they have a ton of money or and just because these people have a ton of gasoline doesn't mean that their lives are fantastic. Mm -hmm. They face the same problems that everybody else does. Like you said, the in in the movie, their mobility, they have none. So they're at a severe disadvantage. Yeah. But the idea of thousands of gallons, it's just like that gambler's mentality that you brought up. Max is intrigued. The gyro captain says, as much as you want. And Max says, where? Where? And so the captain gives a very vague description. He says, 20 miles from here, pumping it they are, refining, ka-chunk, 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 ka-chunk. I love the sound effect, because uh, we're going to come back to that sound effect, but he keeps making it in reference to the exact same very specific thing. Exactly. And I love it, because it's, like, accurate. <laughs> that is a sound effect he has assigned to this piece of machinery, and mm -hmm. that's... How he labels it every time. So they're refining it. They have a huge tanker full. I think the most interesting part of that statement is the fact that they're not only pumping oil out of the ground, but they are refining it into gasoline. And I feel like those two things together is what really makes the compound super valuable. The fact that they're yes. not just able to pull up the crude, but they're able to turn that fossil fuel resource into something that's really usable. Yes. Now, I'm sure that it will come up in our research at a later time when we actually get to the refinery about exactly how you refine oil. Because my very, very limited understanding is that gasoline is a byproduct of refining the oil. And there are other products of refining the oil. We'll find out later. We'll, we'll do research on exactly what. There'll be is. plenty of time to talk about refining when we actually get to get the compound. Get to the refinery. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I definitely have questions because I don't think it's as simple as that. 
Um, my thing about this this line was the 20 miles away. Yep. I know that the outback is big and it's very wastelandy, and that's how it's presented to us as a big gigantic wasteland. But it's only 20 miles away. I drive a lot further than 20 miles to go to work every day. So how did Max not either come across this? Or hear about it by reputation before now. Well, as far as not hearing about it, I have a theory that Max doesn't do a lot of talking to people. He's just staying mobile. Yeah, I agree. He mo- Probably most of the people he comes across are either already dead or trying to kill him. Yeah. And as far as how has he not already found it, if you think of the geography of... Broken Hills in reference to where Melbourne is. It's obvious that Max, when he drove out into the wasteland, he started going north. Yep. And so for however long he's been doing this wasteland thing, it doesn't take you years to go from Melbourne to Broken Hill. But if you're constantly having to stop and go through complicated processes to get your fuel and to move around, he probably, you know, has been zigzagging across you know, Victoria, New South Wales, and all of that area, just staying mobile. So do you think that he has, like, a territory that he sticks to? Or do you think he really is just, like, driving in one direction until he has to change direction? I feel like that's what he's doing. Yeah. Okay. In that case, he could be new to this area. Yeah, exactly. And Australia is a big place. You know, there's... A lot of ground to cover. It occurred to me that I I grew up in Connecticut, so on the coast of Connecticut. So there were very natural boundaries. Like to the south was water. You couldn't and you couldn't go south. There was nowhere to go. If you went west, you hit a big river right away that you could only get over one way. Yeah. So pretty much there was a, a boundary to the west and to the south. So if you wanted to go somewhere with no particular destination in mind, your choice was either north or east. And it's kind of the same way here. The coast uh, to the east isn't that far away. So we have these natural boundaries where you, you just can't go any further. If I wanted to just drive mindlessly, I wouldn't go east. I would probably go north. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like this area of Australia necessarily has any natural boundaries like that. Right. The roads just go on and on and mm-hmm. on. So he could really go in any direction and something could be hidden over a hill and you'd never know it was there. Mm-hmm. So the gyro captain says a huge tanker full and Max responds to that by calling it crap. Yes. <laughs> he says now, crap. in the screenplay he said something else in the screenplay it says balls okay which is more british like saying balls is it i think so because i think british people say bollocks i'm going back on like what i've heard like the gavins that i listen to in podcasts and videos say you can say bollocks i think so but yeah in the original screenplay it says balls and says crap (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I have seen TV edits of movies where they have actually bleeped out the word balls. So maybe, like, some people just see balls as more vulgar than than others. Like, I'm not going to bother bleeping out the word balls. Like, yeah, yeah. It just seems pointless to me. I think it's fine. (laughs) But, yeah, it's funny that there's that, that distinction there. I think crap is more universal. Yeah. More universally understood as... A slang word like darn it, you know. Or like more identifying of it's like the information that you have just given me is Is crap. Refuse. Yes. In my eyes. Where if you said, oh, well, that's balls. And it's like, so that information is... I don't don't even know like how to directly... There's so many ways you could send that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that information is really sensitive when 
kicked or punched. It's like I, I don't I don't know what that would have necessarily meant, but it's slang. Slang doesn't necessarily need to make sense. No. So Max says crap, and the gyro captain fires back with no 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 no. It's true. It's true. So this will be a quick foray, I think, into this thing reminds Rick of another thing corner. <laughs> Whenever I hear the phrase, it's true, it's true, it makes me think of the movie Blazing Saddles, specifically Madeline Kahn. Her character in that movie has been hired to seduce Cleavon Little's character. And so in a scene between the two of them, she turns out the light and then asks if the stories that they tell about men like him are true. And so you hear a zipper sound effect and she says, oh, it's true, it's true. And she's this thick German-accented woman in this movie. And <laughs> I just... First of all, Madeline Kahn is an amazing actress. I get such a kick out of her every time I see her in a movie. And she was in nowhere near as many movies as she should have been in. But the movies that she was featured in, I most of them are just instant classics. I mean, Blazing Saddles, Clue. She was in A Bug's Life. Yeah, she was in A Bug's Life. Like, when Madeline Kahn touches something, it just turns to gold. I'm looking her up on uh, IMDb. Young Frankenstein. <laughs> She was in Avonlea, which was a TV series, like, sequel to uh, Anna Green Gables. Mm-hmm. Oh, she did an after-school special. Yeah. She passed back in December 1999, but she was in 47 different films, movies, voice jobs, all sorts of stuff like that. Get such a kick out of her. Yeah, she's pretty fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> so, like I said, quick little tangent about Madeline Kahn and how great she is. So, Gyro Captain continues. It's not self-service. No, no. It's too hard for me, but a man of your ingenuity. And when he said it's not self-service, I thought, oh, well, if it's not self-service, it's probably in New Jersey. So it's not worth the trip. No, probably not. No. Remember when we were driving along the East Coast and we had to stop for gas in New Jersey and how weird it was? Yeah, it is pretty weird. Like the pumps were all backed up and you get up to the thing and you have to like give some stranger your card. And then he pumps the gas for you and you're just sitting there like a ponce. It's like... It is weird. So strange. It's like, just let me get out and pump my own gasoline. Stop being such a stingy person about it. (laughs) (laughs) Oregon, also you can't pump your own gas. Yeah, that's so weird to me. I guess they have their reasons. I don't really know what they are, but I'm sure they they have their reasons. Honestly, I didn't care enough to look into it because in the context of this movie, when he says it's not self-service, he means that it's very closed off. It's very hard to get. Much too hard for the gyro captain. He's got brains, but he's not that... I love that he claims he has brains. And at first he demonstrates those brains by outsmarting Max at the back of the car with the knife under there. Mm -hmm. So he proved, okay, he does have brains. And then he immediately turns that around. It's attacked (laughs) by the dog. And then he turns around on himself saying, it's too difficult a job for me. But you, you have ingenuity. You can do it. So with that little bit of flattery, Max is asking where, where, where? Because he's interested now. He asks where three times. And Max, at this point, he like has the point of his knife at the gyro captain's throat. And it's another one of those instances where it's like, okay, was he just going to straight up murk this dude and walk away? It just seems so unlike the Max that we knew. Yeah, it seems very out of character. I think it's a good example of how the Wasteland has changed him. Yes. That he's not the same Max that we knew before. You know, this is still the guy that was willing to chain Johnny the boy to a ute and just walk away, you know? 
Yes. Either leave him to explode or cut off his own foot. That, oh gosh, that just hasn't hasn't really been demonstrated to us yet, that he has that capability. Yes, the encounter with Johnny the Boy was horrific and awful and cruel, but if you remember his motivations behind doing that, yeah, then it's kind of like, okay... I guess. <laughs> you you understand the motivation behind it. Yes. Like, I agree in, you know, in movie world, I agree that he has a right to kill Johnny the Boy. Uh, what I, I disagree with his method. I don't think it had to be so horrid. But as as viewers, we agree that, yes, he gets to kill Johnny the Boy now. And yeah. we expect him to do that. But cold-blooded murder has not been demonstrated to us yet. Right. So I don't know if he would have. Yeah, I think... I don't know. I would like to believe that Max is not the kind of person that will just straight up murder someone because that would make him more of a villain. He is still our hero in these movies. He may be straddling that line very delicately, but he still lands on the hero side. Exactly. He's willing to shoot at people and kill those that are directly threatening him. Like, he's going to be the cause of so much death in this movie because of the maneuvers that he takes in vehicles or I think there is that one instance of him actually being able to use his shotgun as a shotgun but he just he's not the kind of person that is going to slit a dude's throat just because he made him look foolish by catching him in a trap you know he's gonna he's gonna like knock him out or you know steal his gasoline and leave him behind yeah. You know. But in this moment, I think he also realizes that the gyro captain is, is an extremely weak person and he will fold under threat. Yeah. So all he, he knows, all he has to do is threaten him Just with a knife. Press him a little bit there. Yeah. And he'll, and he'll give, it up. give him anything he wants. Yeah. So Max obviously wants to know where all of this gasoline is. And the gyro captain plays that classic move. Kill me and you'll never find out. So all Max knows at this point is that somewhere 20 miles from where he's standing right now, mm-hmm. there is a compound. And he doesn't even know it's necessarily a compound. He just knows that they're pumping and refining and they have a tanker. Yes. Which could be anything. It could be a town, could be a compound, could be a shack somewhere. Right. You know, he doesn't it- know what to look for. He just knows that there's a 20 mile radius around where he is with maybe like a little sliver cut out of where he just came from. Right. And that's an awfully big area. Mm-hmm. I was dubious before about it only being 20 miles away, but now picturing the wasteland that they're in, 20 mile, and it's a 20 mile radius. That's an awful lot yeah. <laughs> of square mileage that it could be. And so I'm no longer surprised at all. I'm more wondering how the gyro captain managed to find it. Of course, he probably saw it from the sky. He definitely has an advantage there on scouting things out and stuff. So That's a better vantage point. Thanks to Google and how it makes math easy. Oh, gee. I was thinking like, it's just like times pi, like radius times pi, right? So area, I think is pi r squared, something like that. Okay. But you punch... 20 miles into the radius and the it, area yeah. is over 1,200 square miles <gasps> where it could be. Oh my gosh. That's a lot of area. That is. No. Hold on. I gotta... Did you watch the latest Vsauce video yet about it, the whole thing? Like the theme is how we view the earth. 
Um, well, hold on. In kilometers, we're talking about over 3,200 kilometers of area where it could be found. 20 miles is about 32.18 kilometers. So, sorry about that. I wanted to throw that in so I could have them together. In that video, Michael talks about, like, a normal, like, I think his example is a six-foot human can see three miles to the horizon. Mm-hmm. And that's flat land. That's no hills or anything. Which is curious because I could have sworn learning as a kid that you could see 14 miles to the horizon. But now that seems like really far away. 14 miles seems kind of crazy. Yeah. Either way, either way, it would be almost impossible for him to find. Mm-hmm. On his on own. On his own. Yeah. <laughs> which is good for the gyro captain because it ensures that he survives... I- I love that at the end of this whole scene, his trap has completely backfired on him. Mm-hmm. And he is the one who is now captive, being removed from the scene. You never go to a second location with a stranger. <laughs> and he is going to a second location with a stranger. And that is bad. And I love how it almost doesn't go that way. Because Max is sitting there and he's considering it. And there's a good solid couple of beats where Max is sitting there thinking about taking the gyro captain up on this offer of you know being shown where this compound is mm-hmm. he's got that knife there and he's sitting there and he's thinking about it and it kind of calls back to him with his hand on the blade of that knife underneath the car thinking about should i pull it, pull it out should i put it back in and he eventually decides okay i'm going to take this gamble and he pulls the gyro captain up to his feet i like that we see that max takes a moment to consider his options and consider his chances of success either way. Mm-hmm. You know, could he, given a 20 mile radius, he doesn't have anything else to do. Yeah, it's not like he has an it's appointment. It's not like time is an issue. It's gas that's the issue. Is it worth trying to find it on his own or taking this guy along? He takes the time to give it some thought. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the end, he decides to take that plunge to, to buy that lottery ticket, so to speak. But he doesn't do it without a little bit of security because as we no. as we wipe to the black on black driving through the wasteland, we fade into the car and we see that Max is driving and he's got the gyro captain tied up and bound eight ways to Sunday in the back seat. And we can go more about exactly how he's tied up tomorrow. Yes, we get a much better look tomorrow. But Max is taking no chances of the gyro captain springing something on him when he's right. not looking this while they're driving. This isn't a case of them working together. No. <laughs> this was not like an agreement <laughs> hey, we'll do this. The captain is still Max's prisoner. Right. He's just a prisoner in his car rather than being chained to a tree. Yes, it's a, it's a, I mean, I, as far as the captain goes, I suppose it's a better circumstance for however long that lasts. Yeah, exactly. But like I said, we'll get into that tomorrow. Yep. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy and presented by Warner Brothers Pictures in association with Village Roadshow Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. You can follow Mad Max Minute on Twitter at Mad Max Minute, on Facebook at Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone, and at MadMaxMinute.com. And finally, if you would like to contribute to the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, click on the support link at the top of the page, and check out our Patreon to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for a minute. 13 of the Road Warrior. We'll see you tomorrow.